0: Snuff Production. Hello, welcome to The Penny Drops. My name is Maddie J and this is episode two. Maybe you're saving to buy a house. Maybe you're interested in budgeting or maybe you just want to go on a European holiday but you only have $28 in your account. Whatever the reason, we're all in this together. So get ready for The Penny to Drop. Oh, and one more thing before we start, the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you're seeking advice for your own personal situation and needs, then I strongly recommend meeting with a professional to get something personally tailored, just like I did. I'm working out that every journey starts somewhere. And last week, we spoke about money personalities to find out why we spend money the way we do. But there's a pretty big difference between understanding how we view money and actually knowing what to do with it. In my opinion, regardless of how much money is coming into your account, it's usually the money going out that determines the success of your finance journey. And if I'm going to curb my spending and work out exactly where I'm going wrong, well, I'm going to need to speak to an expert. In this episode, we're going to cover off everything from budgeting to planning, saving and staying out of debt. Now look, when it comes to relationships, I know a thing or two about picking a good one. It's so important that special someone gets you, they understand you, they want to see you succeed. And no, I'm not talking about Laura, I'm talking about Adam Montana who's an expert financial advisor and makes a living of telling people how to be smarter with their money. Now, I am constantly hearing a good financial plan is super important, so I wanted to start with the basics. Adam, what exactly is a financial
1: plan and why do you need one? When you boil it down, it's really looking at a full comprehensive picture of where you are currently at and where you want to go. So when we talk about financial plans, we talk about goals. We talk about objectives. What, what are your values? You know, What do you want to achieve out of the next one to three years, the next five years, ten years? Do you want to start a family? Do you want to send them to private school? Do you just want to buy 15 investment properties? That is your, your individual bespoke financial plan. Why do you want one or why do you need one? You, you need a little bit of direction. And discipline is always key when it comes to financial planning. And I know there's a lot of clients that I've worked with in the past where they've come in with really strong cash flow and really strong goals, but no discipline about trying to achieve them. So the financial plan will keep you in line and, in, and, and, and on track to achieve those goals over time. And I, I think it's really important to get off.
0: So then, what is the very first step in putting one together? Is it as simple as writing
1: it down on a piece of paper or should they be doing it in an Excel spreadsheet? It's like writing a journal. You need to know where you want to go. So opening up Word and just starting to type, you know, in the next 12 months, in the next two years, in the next five years, in the next 10 years, if you have a partner, sit down and have this conversation with them. It's really important either you're going this alone or, you know, when the next step is, you know, that's that's looking at the goals, the values and the objectives, then you need to understand what's going to drive that and money's going to drive that and, you Income, expenses, surplus. That's what if you're going to take one thing away from from this chat today, they're the three key points that you want to cover off. Excel's great. You don't need to be an Excel expert. I'm definitely not. It's putting a figure in the top, which is what you get paid or what drops into your bank account because that's your net because your taxes are already withheld. Then you have your expenses and then that little figure at the end, you just put a simple formula in, that's what you're working with. And then you'd build on that and understand over the course of the year, well, I could have $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 to play with. What do I do with that? And how does that then link into your Word document to say, right, well, that amount can fund this goal, this goal, and this goal. The important thing for me is to remember... Not
0: to write it on a scrap bit of paper somewhere that I'm going to forget in a couple of weeks' time. Doing it
1: somewhere where you know you can find that information in four weeks' time. It's four weeks, it's eight weeks, it's six months, it's 12 months. You're always going to revisit what your goals are and either do it in pen, scribble it out, or do it in pencil and rub it out, you know, because your goals are going to change. And once you get committed to this exercise, you will actually find that you're really committed. And you want to achieve that short-term goal because that leads to your medium-term goal. When you say medium, what time frame is that? So when we talk about immediate or short-term, we talk about the next twelve months. So that might be I want to pay off the car loan or I want to get a new car. Smaller type of milestones that you're trying to achieve. Medium to long-term, we're kind of framing up that three to five. So that could be a house deposit. It could be an investment portfolio that's more liquid. So we can actually draw down a little bit of that rather than selling off one of the bedrooms.
0: So when it comes to your your long-term goals versus your medium-term goals, like I'm thinking, for example, Laura and I, we know that we want to have a house deposit, but we also have talked about going on an overseas trip. Should I have mm. two separate bank accounts for those
1: two items that we're wanting to achieve? Yeah, it definitely makes it easier. So looking at different goals and having different accounts set up, you know it's harder to dip into the house deposit funds to go and pay for the overseas holiday. So what, what we tend to set up is having different accounts and looking at those accounts that you can get through online providers or, or, or your bank that you bank with, make it a little bit harder to get access to the funds. So you're going to have your transaction account, which you keep your credit card funds in, or if you need to go to the ATM. But when you get paid, transfer money to an online saver that requires you to transfer it back to actually spend it, because that gives you a little bit of a breaking point point to and a buffer before you can actually get it out of the ATM to spend it on whatever. So setting up, those different accounts, you know, you, you may end up with a with a handful of them and again, keeping it all together on your app, you can see them, you can see the progress that you're making with saving into these different accounts, but setting up that bucketing approach to say, well, here's this bucket for the, for the house deposit, here's the overseas holiday, here is my blue shirt bucket, that's what you want to start building so you can then kind of allocate different goals to different accounts. It's a bit like putting the chocolate in the
0: basement of the house, isn't it, Adam? It it's harder to get. Is. Yeah, you, you won't dip into it and start
1: gorging your face. Uh, yes, but you you also know where the where, where the stairs are, and you will <laughs> yeah, yeah. eventually get to it if you want to. But just having that additional kind of barrier there will introduce more discipline to what you're trying to achieve.
0: How often do you get clients coming to you and saying? Do I want to buy a house? Is that the right thing? Because some people I speak to, they're like, hey, the housing market, it's ridiculous. It's too expensive. You're not going to make a lot of money in return. You want to be putting that into investments. And then other people are like, nah, property,
1: that is where you want to be playing. What should I do, Adam? Tell me everything. All the time is the answer to that question. And you know, I think we've just been brought up in a country where there is a love of bricks and mortar. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Owning a property. You should always, and I've always said that there is a place on a balance sheet or in your portfolio for property. There is also a place for diversification. And diversification means effectively having different eggs in different baskets. So if you own a house and you want to buy 15 houses, then I would say you're probably a little bit overweight or you have too much exposure to one asset class being property.
0: And now when it comes to my budget, I think this is the scariest part for me. Where where my money goes, I know right now that I spend far too much money ordering takeaway. I think convenience has become a bit of a necessity and it's probably something that I'm overindulging in now Mm -hmm. that I've got little girls. I think that's what makes me nervous is you looking at where my money is going and going, oh my gosh, this
1: guy is doing it all wrong. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong in budgeting, you know, and again, it's, it's trying to focus on the bigger picture. If you want to drill down into every single line item of your credit card, you will go crazy. You know, it is an overall picture of trying to understand what sources of income are coming in, what is going out, and we could talk about fixed expenses. We could talk about... What are fixed expenses then? So we, when we talk about fixed and discretionary spending, we, we talk about those things that you need to meet each month. So like rent, for example. Rent, mortgage if you already own, or private health insurance, or you know car registration if you're paying that monthly, or you, you tend to save for that during the year to pay the, the big lump sum invoice at the end of the year. So they're expenses which are fixed and are ongoing. You get a handle on those, then you've got what's left, which is your discretionary spend. So again, your blue shirt example, that's a discretionary choice. You know, And in some months where you may have an increased fixed expenditure, so the car insurance falls due in November, you can dial down your discretionary spending. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what it comes down to is that bottom line where if it's a positive number, that's great. If it's a negative number, that means your credit card bill's going up or your credit card balance is going up or you, you're going backwards.
0: And so when I've mapped out all of my expenses for the month, What's your advice to people who are looking for a bit of a push in the right direction on where they can save more money?
1: It's that entertainment and looking at making choices. Where you try and focus on is again, understanding what you can control. You know, and I'm not saying go and break your lease and find a a cheaper rental apartment. Where you live is a really important tenant of what you do, you know, and you need to be happy in where you live. It's all of that kind of discretionary spend or do I buy this? Do I really need that? That That's where you're going to drive a lot of your savings.
0: And then when it comes to debt, if mm-hmm. there is anybody out there who is trying to chip away at that debt, what's your approach here? Do you think it's better to attack the smaller amounts of debt first or do you go for the big daddy?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a really good question. Yeah, there's two different schools of thought there where you know, if you can extinguish or, or pay off a full debt, which may well be Or a store credit card or a credit card or or an Apple GE loan or or whatever it is, then that gives you confidence to go and attack the bigger one. Generally, the bigger one might have a higher interest rate. So that, from a financial perspective, should be the one that you're attacking first. So paying 17% on a credit card versus interest-free or 5% on a store card somewhere, I would always say you're attacking the 17% because what you're doing is you you're actually paying dead money on that 17% rather than kind of 5% which is cheaper if that makes sense mm. because you've only got a certain amount of of cash in the bucket to allocate and paying off a 17% loan over a 5% loan makes absolutely more sense even though the 5% loan may be the smaller of the two and you would get more kind of confidence and and optimism of extinguishing that faster. The other way of looking at it is is potentially consolidating it. So talk to your bank around potentially consolidating the debts together, consolidate it into the lower interest rate, and then increase you or accelerate your, your monthly payments. But again, that's factored onto your budget. You can only accelerate your payments if you've got surplus cash flow do it.
0: With a budget, how can we better manage blowout months? For example, Christmas, or maybe it's your partner's birthday. So one month might be really heavy with expenses and another might be really light on.
1: Yeah. it's Again, it's a really good question and one that I bring back to technology. So apps these days are great with tracking spending, which may or may not be a good thing in your household, but (laughs) uh, it could well be that you can forecast out for the 12 months, knowing when the car insurance falls due, when, you know, the bond for the, you're moving and you need to pay a bond for the new rental apartment. You know, you could save and chip away at those during the 12 month period. So you can set your kind of fixed expenditure, even though you, 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 Car renewal is a fixed expenditure. You can you don't have to wait until November to pay that because you won't be able to eat in November because all of your all of your spend would go for the one one item. So having apps tracking your your budgeting and knowing when those are falling due, then having a you know somewhat of a bucketing approach to have an account set aside for expenses. So you could say, you know, and I'll keep using the the car renewal, but that's two thousand dollars. So that's, call it $200 a month or $180 a month. $180 a month gets siphoned off into this little account with whoever you bank with and then come November, you've got the money there to pay it. So that's a way to get that discipline back into your budgeting so you're not kind of going, great, we can eat out again this week and then come November and say, we're, we're in a bit of strife.
0: Because It's funny because I always viewed a budget as something that would be fixed throughout the year. And I guess it's now changing my approach in that I know there are certain months where I can really tighten the purse strings and then there are other months where I can enjoy life a bit more.
1: Well, you've got to celebrate things as well. So one of the things I really tell clients around setting off on a financial journey, you need to make it achievable and you need to make it fun. Because if it's not, one, you're going to lose interest and you're going to go, well, I'll find the two grand in November, I'll be fine. But if you make it fun, you make it achievable and you, you engage with it. So these days you've got everything in your in your phone or on your phone and you can keep track of it and you, you have kind of these milestones during the year, not just over a three to five to ten year period. You need to be flexible with it as well. So knowing that the world can change and we've just gone through that over the last couple of years where... Sources of income could have dried up, so it's really hard to just have a fixed budget and say, "Well, that's me for the next ten years." You need to be able to move and kind of roll with the punches a little bit and make sure that you can you can address what you need to.
0: So, when it it comes to checking in on my budget and being accountable for where I'm at, how often should I be doing that?
1: Yeah, at the outset when you when you're kicking off the off the budget, it's it, it, you're really looking at that on a monthly basis. You know or fortnightly basis if you're getting paid fortnightly. It's I look at it as when the money or the income drops in, that's what do I do with that? Okay. Then you kind of siphon that off and you have your fixed expenditure, then you have your expenses account, or you have those types of of actions going on and make that as automated as you possibly can. Then you you move on to the next fortnight or the next month. And you keep once you do that over a couple of quarters, you'll get comfortable with knowing what those expense lines are and what the income sources are and then you just check in on it kind of maybe twice a year and say okay well am I on track with what I told myself I'm going to spend and therefore save or am I above or below the line
0: And then when I am checking in let's let's say initially it's going to be that once a month period with Laura if we are on track how much can I spend on the celebration
1: Adam, don't go and over-celebrate it. I'm trying to be very very political here and not give you the full answer of saying just blow the lot of it. Uh, but Because if
0: you do, that's exactly that's, what I'm going to do, Adam. If you say jump, I'll say how
1: high. I've gotten the sense. I've gotten that sense. But, <laughs> um, you know, you've got to celebrate and make that fun. But if that means that you're going to look back and say we did all this great work and then we spent it all and then we're back at square <laughs> one, well, how's that going to make you feel? And then you're probably not then setting off on that longer-term journey. You're really looking at that immediate short-term goal of getting to Fiji every now and again. My finger is hovering over the flights to Fiji button right now on the Mm -hmm. computer. We've got to get your budget in first. (laughs) So let's work on that and let's see what the surplus cash flow is and then we'll check in and we'll work through all these steps and then we can go to Fiji. I just can't wait for our second date now. Uh, Don't tell Laura, uh, but (laughs) uh, me too. (laughs)
0: Ah, the experts. They always make it sound so easy. But what about us regular Joe Blows? Well, I got to speak with Brianna. And when Brianna was in her 20s, she found herself in over $30,000 worth of credit card debt. Look, that's a decent amount of cash, especially when Bri was hardworking and she was making money from a pretty young age.
2: I was one of those kids that got a job as soon as I was 14 to nine months. So I was out there and I needed. I wanted to earn money for a whole host of different reasons. I wanted to go out and have independence. I wanted to kind of find myself outside of home and school. But yeah, I also wanted a disposable income. None of my friends had
0: disposable incomes. When you're 15, life's good. I mean, the main thing you have to worry about is doing the school assignments. But yeah, in terms of your responsibility when it comes to money, there's not a whole lot. I mean, maybe your phone bill and that's about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't even have a phone bill and I grew up in Queensland, so you know, you're down at the beach and maybe over at friends' houses. I it just it never really occurred to me to make a budget or to have any kind of financial literacy. It wasn't a conversation that we had in my house. It wasn't something that was talked about. We never budget just was never mentioned in our house. So, it was something that I had to learn on my own and probably had to learn the hard way, if I'm honest.
0: Well, how did that approach to money then transcend into adulthood when you're, let's say, you know, you're 18 and you're living <clears> at a home? How was it at that point of your life?
2: It was really hard. I, I mean, I, I left Queensland, moved to Sydney. I was at uni. I had three jobs to put myself through uni. And, and whenever I say that to people, everybody thinks, oh my goodness, she's such a hard worker. But the truth of the matter is, is I was just so so keen on living a very specific life in Sydney at uni that I needed those jobs in order to satisfy my social life and this whole, I guess, life that I was trying to create that I just I literally couldn't afford. So whatever I didn't learn at home translated into some pretty bad habits early on.
0: Brie, you're a peacock. Uh, by what the does way, that mean? So <laughs> for anyone who hasn't listened to episode one, we talk about money personalities and there is a personality called the peacock and I'm also part peacock. So you're not alone here, Brie, but a peacock is somebody who likes to spend, likes to show off. And oh, yeah. I say that, I'm not judging at all because I yeah. am part peacock, but it's so easy to fall into that habit of just spending money. Mm. So at what point did you start to realize, oh gosh, I'm getting in a little bit of trouble here?
2: Hmm. Well, I mean, if we're talking about peacocks, I was the most colourful, sparkly peacock in all of the (laughs) land. So I can totally, absolutely relate. But the good news is peacocks can change their colours, can change their feathers. And that's kind of what I did. But I mean, living in Sydney and trying to live this life, I was so focused on my social life and how people perceived me and what I was wearing and how much fun I was having. All of those kinds of things that we've experienced at one point, or another, but the the kind of breaking point for me was on the outside, everyone thought that, you know, I had it made. I had this great job out of uni. I just bought a brand new car. I was living in inner west of Sydney. I was going out every weekend in a different outfit. You know, from the outside, I was I was doing fine. But the breaking point for me was I went to go get a coffee one morning and my card declined. And I looked at my bank balance. I had zero dollars. My credit card was maxed out. I I literally didn't have a dollar to my name. And that was just to get a $3.50 coffee. That was the moment for me where I thought, my goodness, you have a great job. You have income. What are you doing? Like every other part of your life you've been able to do well at or work really hard at. And this is the one part that I just could never seem to get right. And when you're in your early 20s and you are earning money to look at yourself and go, I actually can't afford a coffee. That's that's sort of where you have to draw the line.
0: Well, how much of a shock was it in that moment? Like, did you know that you were going down a path where you had no money left or was, was it just a case of you completely neglected to show any attention to that area of your life?
2: Oh, I just, I just didn't care. I was more focused on if I had a couple of hundred bucks left in my account, I wasn't thinking ahead to my next rent payment or car payment or anything like that. I was like, all right, a couple of hundred bucks, that'll do me this weekend and then I'll figure out the problem next week. And, you know, it took me a really long time because it's a behavior. It's almost like an addiction and you get that dopamine hit when you spend money or you, uh, you know, you go out or somebody compliments you. It's, It's a really bad relationship to have. But yeah, it was bad. And I didn't want to tell anybody about it because I was incredibly embarrassed. Um, But I knew I had to dig myself out because I was like, if I am going to get anywhere close to having any assets of any kind, or even just some savings, like at a bare minimum, I need to make some pretty, pretty massive changes.
0: So then, what was your what was your first point of call after you your coffeeless at this point, (laughs) uh, which is devastating? You also now know that you know you've got nothing left in your bank account. Who do you turn to?
2: My parents weren't in a position to be giving me money either, Um, so that was something that was pretty bad. I had to call up the bank and ask for an extension on my credit card just to get me to my next. Payment cycle from from my job, and I had to sit down and said to myself, like a diet. I'm like, if I'm gonna do this and get myself out, it has to be easy, and I have to succeed at it. I can't overcomplicate it at this point. So I sat down and created like three buckets, and it's, you know, it's kind of a widely known approach. But I had um, like a savings bucket, a spending bucket, and a sacred bucket. But that all to say, you know, it took me about five years to get from that place to a place where I could put my hand up and say, you know what, I think I've changed my bad habits and I'm getting to a good place. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's where people get mixed up is that they assume that one good month is going to lead them to financial success. And it's not. It's about changing some pretty, pretty significant behaviors and relationships towards money.
0: And so at this point, mm. how much credit card debt did you have in total,
2: roughly? Roughly mm, about between twenty and thirty thousand in credit card debt. Remembering I was twenty-three when this happened. Wow. So yeah. That's a lot of money for a twenty-three year old. And I had a seventeen thousand dollar car loan. And I was paying rent in Sydney and, you know, and it was just plus, 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 plus.
0: And so how did you decide what to attack first?
2: I knew that the car was like a security almost. I I needed that car. I didn't need the debt. At the very beginning, I wasn't really saving anything. It was just all spending to live and then spending to pay off the debt and you know, I was paying interest on espresso martinis that I had six months ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> I'm like this is ridiculous. At first it was $18 and now I'm paying like $70 for something that I had ages ago. So I knew by getting rid of that and pulling that down as quickly as I could would get me into a position where I could finally save something.
0: How frequently were you doing health checks on your finances?
2: Well, I got paid monthly. So Every time I got paid, and I'd pay off more of my credit card, and then I'd call the bank to reduce the uh, the limit. That was like a celebration for me. So I was, I became a little bit obsessive about it, which at the time was a good thing. But like anything, you know, you need a bit of balance. So I'm not obsessive anymore. I'm a bit more relaxed. But yeah, I'd be checking in every month when I got paid.
0: And now that you're out of debt, I'm assuming. Mm, yes. Are yes. you <laughs> still checking in that frequently and looking at your finances?
2: Yeah. I mean, like any kind of habit, I have my lapses. So, as of today, I don't have a car loan. Um, I've paid off my hex debt or fee help debt. Um, I don't have any bad debt. The only debt that I have is my mortgage, which is an investment. So, I'm happy to kind of pay that off. And like I said, I'm a bit more relaxed. And when I feel myself getting into a position where I'm mindlessly spending, and that's the danger zone that's when I have to kind of pull myself back in.
0: How were you tracking all of your finances at this point? Was it as simple as just pen and
2: paper? Yeah. So at the very beginning, like I said, it had to be simple. If I was going to follow it, I knew if I overcomplicated it, I'd find a reason to not, you know, engage with it. So I there was no Excel spreadsheet at the beginning. It was just an A4 sheet of paper with three columns. I didn't track every single spend, but instead said, all right, this amount of money goes to this, this amount of money goes to that. And if I can just stick to that for a year, then I'll see how I go. And that made, you know, that was leaps and bounds. And then from there, once I started getting myself out of the debt and could see the light once and then eventually in a position to perhaps invest, that's probably where I started tracking things a little bit more. Um, But at the very beginning, you've got to keep it simple. So
0: can I ask, going back to, to when you first started thinking to yourself, all right, enough's enough, I'm going to tackle this debt. I'm going to start writing down where I'm spending my money. Were there any expenses that were a really big surprise to you where you thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm spending this much money on this item?
2: Yeah. I mean, there were three big ones. The first one was any kind of subscription. So I had heaps of um, subscriptions to websites, to gyms. There was like three or four gyms in there. Excuse me? Um, I, honestly, <laughs> I mean, it shocked me when when I was doing like an audit of my account. I was like, what even is that?
0: I don't even know what that is. It's hard work getting out of a gym membership. How did you oh, go getting out of And like, this was three? like
2: 10 years ago. So, you know, I mean, they lock you in. So that took a lot of effort. I had a lot of auto payments set up with bills and things like that that I didn't really necessarily have control over and money was just coming out of my account. So I cancelled subscriptions and this is the part, right, is that it takes time and if it's not convenient for people, then they just go, oh it doesn't matter, you know, I'll figure that out later. So there was a lot of time spent unraveling poor decisions when it comes to the gym memberships and the subscriptions any bills, I reverted to, uh, you know, part payments or payment plans, so that I had a bit more control over the cash flow. Um, the second one was food. I was buying food every single day at work. I was buying coffees every single day. I was getting a wine after work. You know, those sorts of incidental spendings that at the time you're like, oh, it's ten dollars here, five dollars there, but was just adding up. And then the third one, which was probably the most negative one, was around my appearance. So, you know, the eyelashes and the eyebrows and the hairdresser and all of these things where I was like, do I really need to be getting these treatments every every month when I'm 23? Probably not. Why am I so focused on how I appear to other people? You know, is there something else here that I should be probably addressing? So they were the three big things for me that I had to had to really change.
0: See, the food and wine... I can definitely mm. relate to. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately for me, I've never been one to spend a lot of money on my eyebrows <laughs> or getting a fake tan or getting a wax.
2: They look great, by the way.
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, hey, as do yours. Um, Bree, want to talk about just your bucket system that you put mm. in place. So you have the saving, the spending, and the sacred. Mm-hmm. We've spoken before on this podcast about formulas don't necessarily work for everybody. It's not a one size fits all, but I know Mm. this one worked for you. Mm -hmm. Can you just run me through what formula you applied and how you broke up where you spent your money?
2: Yeah. So depending on how frequently you get paid, the easiest thing that you can do is to split your money into buckets instead of splitting it into, you know, different kinds of, oh, this is food and this is experiences and that kind of thing. The three buckets seems to work really well because you just take one chunk of money and split it up. So, I put 20% of my income into, um, into savings and this is, you know, what's known as that emergency fund when your car breaks down or when, you know, you break a tooth or something that requires money quickly for an emergency situation um, and that's where people typically grab their credit card but your emergency fund is, um, is a really important piece to have. So, that's around 20% of your income. Then around 60% of your income, or this is what I did, I should say, 60% of my income was spending. Now, this spending bucket was big at the time because it was all of my debt as well. So, it was any spending money that was going out. So, that was me living with groceries, um, petrol, rent, um, bad debts and my car payment and my credit card. And then I had about 10 to 20% that uh, went to sacred Sacred was that money where, um, you know, and it would have been, I don't know, like a couple of hundred dollars at the time. That was my future. That was what I was holding dear to me. And that was almost like a, a stake in the ground to say, I will get out of this. I will use this money for investing or for a house or, or for something in the future. Um, and I protected that with my life.
0: See, I thought you were going to say sacred was the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, but when I had these buckets, I couldn't have the eyebrows anymore. You know, I something had to give. But the point is, is that those percentages will change as your lifestyle changes. So as an example, now, you know, I am probably putting more into my sacred for investing because it's giving me the biggest return. I'm probably spending less. So my expenses are actually less because I don't have any bad debt. I've got my mortgage payment. Uh, which is probably around 30% of my income um and then other lifestyle things but in total it's probably sitting around 40-50% of my income and then of course you know cash for that for that emergency my goal right now is to have enough cash savings for 12 months so if I was to lose my job or something bad was to happen for me that I couldn't get an income anymore that I have that savings but for anybody out there who's in really bad debt I think starting off with, you know, getting yourself out of that debt first. So have have your 20% savings and then pay that debt off until it hurts. Because once that's paid off or the faster that is paid off, then the faster you can start putting money towards investing and actually seeing a future outside of that debt.
0: Brie, it's such a great story. And honestly, it's so lovely to hear how well you've done. I mean, who would have thought that little 23 year old who couldn't even afford a coffee would end up getting out of debt? And now you're on a podcast telling your story.
2: I know. I, I've made it. I've really made
0: it. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Brie, thank you so thank much. You.
2: It's been lovely to talk to you. And anybody out there, just know your peacock feathers can change. If I can do it, you can too. <laughs>
0: And, and me as well. You as well. Absolutely. I, uh, I do need to get my, my peacock feathers seen too. They, they are <laughs> looking a little bit tardy at the moment. bit dull. Mm. Bree, thanks so much.
2: <laughs> no worries. Thank you for having me.
0: Hearing from someone who's done it, who's overhauled their finances and gotten themselves out of debt and is now financially flourishing, it's the sort of reality check that we all need because sometimes you just need a reminder that it's achievable. But it's also becoming pretty clear that there isn't a silver bullet or quick fix, it's consistency, it's discipline and organisation – All of the things that I've been neglecting, but it's these small steps each day that really pay off. So to wrap up the key nuggets that I've learned from today's episode, I need to write down all of my goals, my immediate, medium, and long-term. And for those long-term goals that I'm not sure about, I need to remember that savings are my enabler. If I have savings, then when something sparks my interest down the track, I'll be in a great place to take action and I need to write a budget. Something I should have done a very long time ago, because this is going to give me a clear picture of all my money coming in and my money going out. But with this budget, I shouldn't make it too stringent or try and base it off a certain formula. I need to make it realistic as it has to work for me and my unique situation. This podcast was produced on what always has been and always will be Gadigal land. Join me on the next episode because I'm going to make sure that Laura and I are completely on the same page when it comes to our finances. You see, some people say that love and money don't mix. Well, I'm here to prove them wrong. I'll be talking to some experts who walk us through all the do's and don'ts when it comes to finance and relationships. That's it from me. If you've enjoyed this episode or maybe you found it helpful, I would love it if you subscribed, left a review, or even shared it with a friend. Until next time, spend less and save more. And if you don't, well, we'll work on that next week. This podcast was produced on what always has been and always will be Gadigal land.
1: Listener.